0: New York, this is Democracy Now.
1: Boeing's supplier that made the fuselage and the door that blew out in the Alaska Airlines flight, workers at that subcontractor had been warning management uh, about defects and safety concerns uh, according to court documents, uh, and the workers uh, alleged that they uh, were retaliated against for making those warnings.
0: Boeing's supplier ignored warnings of excessive amount of defects, former employees allege. We'll speak with David Sirota, editor-in-chief of The Lever, which has just published the exposé. Then, protesters call for a ceasefire in Gaza as President Biden delivers a campaign speech at the historic Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where eight African-American parishioners and their pastor were shot dead by a white supremacist in 2015.
2: The truth is under assault in America. As a consequence, so is our freedom, our democracy, our very country, because without the truth, there's no light. Without light, there's no path from this darkness. If you really care about the lives lost here, then you should honor the lives lost for fires.
0: We'll speak with the anti-racist activist Bree Newsom-Bass, who's also calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. She is known for scaling the 30-foot flagpole at the South Carolina State Capitol and removing the Confederate flag after the 2015 massacre. She said as she climbed and held that flag, this flag comes down today. And we'll look at growing support for reparations for African-American descendants of people who were enslaved. A new documentary is premiering on PBS this week, The Cost of Inheritance.
3: Bring strangers together. Seeing those names, it humanized it for me.
4: Every time I say I'm the fifth generation of Zeke Quarterman, an enslaved man, part of me dies.
0: All that and more, coming up. Mm. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's in Israel today meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and other top officials as Israel's bombardment of Gaza continues for a 95th day. Blinken's on a multi-nation trip across the Middle East. On Monday, he met with the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Health officials in Gaza say it's been another devastating 24-hour period. The bodies of 57 Palestinians killed in Israeli strikes have been taken to Al-Aqsa Hospital, the only remaining hospital. Hospital in central Gaza. The hospital also took in 65 injured Palestinians as the hospital's few remaining doctors struggled to treat the wounded. Over the weekend, Doctors Without Borders and other NGOs pulled staff from the hospital due to concern for their safety and heavy Israeli attacks. Meanwhile, the Israeli human rights group, Batsala, has accused Israel of purposely starving the people of Gaza. In a new report, the group said starvation is, quote, not a byproduct of of war, but a direct result of Israel's declared policy, they said. In Rafah, displaced Palestinians denounced Blinken and the United States for supporting Israel's assault.
3: We
2: hold America and Blinken accountable as they help Israel kill children and provided weapons. So whether Blinken comes or not, he will never change anything. We will remain steadfast, and victory will be for us. We will show America and Israel something that they have never seen.
0: Israel has also carried out a number of military raids in the occupied West Bank. On Monday, Israeli forces shot dead three Palestinian men in the city of Tolkarim. Video has emerged showing an Israeli military vehicle running over one of the men who'd been shot. More than 340 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli forces and settlers in the West Bank since Hamas attacked Israel October 7th. The Israeli newspaper Haaretz is reporting 70 lawmakers in the Israeli Knesset have signed a motion to expel Ofer Kassif from the legislative body after he signed a petition supporting South Africa's genocide case against Israel at the International Court of Justice. Kassif? who is Jewish, denounced the move to expel him as a member of the Knesset, pointing out no action has been taken against lawmakers who've called for the complete destruction of Gaza or back the removal of all Palestinians from Gaza. Earlier today, Israeli President Isaac Herzog met with Tony Blinken and criticized South Africa's genocide case.
3: On Thursday, a proceeding will start in the International Court of Justice in The Hague whereby the South Africa has sued Israel for supposedly genocide. There's nothing more atrocious and preposterous than this claim, where we are doing our utmost under extremely complicated circumstances on the ground to make sure that there will be no unintended consequences and no civilian casualties.
0: On Monday, Jeremy Corbyn, the former leader of the British Labour Party, called on Britain to back South Africa's case at the International Court of Justice.
5: 22,000 people have already been killed, 1.9 million displaced, thousands dying in the rubble, thousands of children dying because of lack of medical care and food, people dying of starvation and thirst and hunger in the Gaza Strip at the present time. Cannot the government understand the anger around the world when they watch this in real time happening? And why so many people are very pleased that the government of South Africa has taken an initiative in going to the international court in order to hold Israel to account for the deaths of so many wholly innocent people in Gaza. Can't the government understand that and at least support the South African process?
0: So far, just a handful of countries have publicly supported South Africa's genocide case against Israel, Bolivia, Turkey, Malaysia and Jordan. Israel's reportedly carried out another targeted strike inside southern Lebanon, killing three members of Hezbollah earlier today. This comes one day after an Israeli drone strike assassinated Wissam al-Tawil. He was the most senior Hezbollah figure killed by Israel in recent months. The Washington Post is reporting U.S. officials are concerned that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu sees expanding the war to Lebanon as, quote, key to his political survival. President Biden denounced the poison of white supremacy Monday during a speech at the Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where the white supremacist Dylan Roof shot dead nine black parishioners in 2015. Many analysts say the speech was part of an effort by Biden to shore up support from black voters. Biden's speech was disrupted when a group of activists started chanting, Ceasefire Now. Without
2: light, there's no path from this darkness. If you really care about the lives lost here, then you
6: should honor the lives lost and call for a ceasefire in Palestine. Ceasefire! 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 Ceasefire!
0: Ceasefire! as the protesters calling for a ceasefire in Gaza were removed from the church, supporters of Biden started chanting four more years. President Biden then addressed the protest.
2: I understand their passion. And I've been quietly working—I've been quietly working with the Israeli government to get them to reduce and
0: significantly get out of Gaza and using all that I can to do. Here in New York, at least 325 protesters were arrested Monday morning when they blocked the entrances to three major bridges and a tunnel in Manhattan. Demonstrators were calling for a Gaza ceasefire.
3: I'm part of
6: a large group of people who are shutting down uh, downtown Manhattan. We're taking four sites. We're taking Brooklyn Bridge, where we are now, Williamsburg Bridge, Manhattan Bridge, and the Hollow Tuttle, in solidarity with Palestine and against the war in Gaza. We're hoping that with this action, we can inspire others to keep agitating, keep escalating, and keep disrupting until we we have like, shown that we will not stop until the U.S. supports permanent
0: ceasefire. Organizers of the protests included Jewish Voice for Peace, Palestinian Youth Movement, and Democratic Socialists of America. Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets remain grounded after a refrigerator-sized fuselage door plug blew off on Friday on an Alaska Airlines plane near Portland, Oregon. Officials with Alaska Airlines and United Airlines say they found loose bolts and other problems on some of the grounded jets— Meanwhile, the online news outlet The Lever is reporting employees at a Boeing subcontractor were told to falsify records after inspection teams found, quote, excessive amount of defects in parts being made for Boeing. Spirit Aerosystems reportedly manufactured the door that blew out on the Alaska Airlines flight. The lever reports a group of Spirit shareholders filed a federal complaint last year saying Spirit executives had, quote, prioritized production numbers and short-term financial outcomes over product quality. Spirit was established nearly two decades ago as a spin-off of Boeing. We'll have more on this expose after headlines. Donald Trump's expected to be inside a federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. today. As his lawyers argue, the former president has absolute immunity from prosecution from charges he tried to overthrow the 2020 election. Trump's claiming his actions were part of his official duties as president. But in a legal brief, special counsel Jack Smith has warned that granting Trump immunity from criminal prosecution would be, quote, particularly dangerous due to his efforts to try to remain in office beyond his term. On Monday, Trump's legal team also filed a request to dismiss state charges in Georgia over election interference, citing presidential immunity. Trump's court appearance in Washington comes less than a week before the January 15th caucus in Iowa. In Brazil, rallies in defense of democracy were held Monday, marking one year since thousands of supporters of former far-right President Jair Bolsonaro stormed several government buildings in an attempt to topple newly elected President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. Lula spoke Monday, hailing the victory of democracy over authoritarianism after the January 8th insurrection.
1: If the coup attempt had been successful, much more than glass, furniture, works of art and historical objects would have been stolen and destroyed. The sovereign will of the Brazilian people that was expressed at the ballot box would have been stolen and democracy would have been destroyed.
0: Scientists with the European Union have confirmed 2023 was the hottest year on record and likely the warmest in the last 100,000 years. Monthly heat records were broken every month last year from June to December. The head of the European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service said, quote, This has been a very exceptional year, climate-wise, in a league of its own, even when compared to other very warm years. In Bangladesh, more than 7,000 Rohingya refugees have been left homeless after a fire destroyed about 800 shelters in the Cox's Bazar refugee camp, where nearly a million Rohingya refugees live after fleeing Burma. And in Tacoma, Washington, dozens of asylum seekers from India, jailed at the Northwest Detention Center, have been on hunger strike for nearly a week, demanding their release and a fair due process. Strikers and announcing their indefinite detention and other dangerous conditions at the detention center. Many of the asylum seekers told the advocacy group La Resistencia that Immigration and Customs Enforcement officials had threatened them with force feeding unless they ended the peaceful action. Northwest is run by the for-profit prison corporation, GEO Group, and has seen a wave of recent hunger strikes, most recently one that lasted over 50 days. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman in New York, joined by Democracy Now! co-host Juan Gonzalez in Chicago. Juan, Happy New Year.
5: Happy New Year, Amy, and welcome to all of our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world.
0: We begin today's show with a breaking story, an update on the Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets that remain grounded after a refrigerator-sized fuselage door plug blew off on Friday on an Alaska Airlines plane in the air near Portland, Oregon. Officials with Alaska Airlines and United Airlines say they've found loose bolts and other problems on some of the jets that have since been grounded. Meanwhile, the online news outlet The Levers reporting, workers at a Boeing subcontractor were told to falsify records after inspection teams found, quote, excessive amount of defects in parts being made for Boeing. Spirit Aerosystems reportedly manufactured the door that blew out on the Alaska Airlines flight 16,000 feet in the air. The Lever reports a group of Spirit shareholders filed a federal complaint last year saying Spirit executives have, quote, prioritized production numbers and short-term financial outcomes over product quality. Spirit was established nearly two decades ago as a spin-off of Boeing. We're joined now by the Lever's editor in Chief David Sirota, the investigation is headlined: Boeing supplier ignored warnings of excessive amount of defects. Former employees allege. David's also editor at large for Jacobin. David, welcome back to Democracy Now. Thanks for joining us from Denver. Why don't you lay out what you just exposed?
1: Sure. Just a few days uh, before, excuse me, a few weeks before the debacle over Portland, Oregon. Uh, Court documents were filed by those shareholders uh, that included uh, allegations from safety uh, officials, employees uh, at the subcontractor uh, that basically allege a a culture of defective products, a lack of quality control uh, and a retaliation, culture of retaliation against workers who were trying to sound the alarm. Uh, These workers say uh, that they had found, uh, as you said, uh, excessive defects in the uh, construction and production of these fuselages, uh, that they tried to sound the alarm uh, with corporate officials, with managers, including, by the way, the then CEO of the company, uh, and that they were retaliated against. For raising those alarms, and some of the the specifics of the allegations uh, relate to what what we were now learning. Uh, the loose bolts situation, as one example, uh, one of the uh, workers alleges uh, that that the calibration of the tools uh, that tighten those bolts uh, that they had found problems in the calibration of those tools, and that they had gone to management and said, "We have a a systemic problem here." Uh, and again. Uh, that that those warnings were ignored uh, and that in some cases workers were retaliated against for trying to to raise those alarms. At one point, uh, one of the workers in an email uh, and in an ethics complaint at the company uh, says, uh, effectively, you're asking us to report inaccurate information uh, about the safety of the the products uh, that that we're putting out there. The products, of course, being uh, those components of the fuselage.
5: And, and David, could you talk about a a little more about the relationship between Spirit and Boeing? uh, Given the fact that this is such a key component of a plane to fuselage that it would be contracted out. uh, uh, Why did Boeing spin off uh, Spirit to begin with?
1: Uh, It's a a great question, Um, uh, but but I I can say this. Uh, The company at issue... Uh, what says that its major, uh, its most important piece of business is is building these fuselages so when we call this company a subcontractor uh, it, it is it's smaller than boeing but we're talking about uh, a, a publicly traded company uh, a big company uh, that that's whose primary business whose main business is producing this uh, for boeing uh doing uh, these fuselages which as you say is an essential part uh, of the plane so so to be clear this is not some small subcontractor that kind of boeing uh, ignored or didn't know much about. Right, this is a major company uh, headed now, by the way, by a former Boeing official, a former Boeing official uh, who had served in the Trump administration uh, as a Pentagon official, and of course, uh, Boeing and Pentagon and the Pentagon uh, have have a a, a a huge relationship in terms of of of, uh, of military production. Uh, so this is a big company, uh, and and it does raise questions about uh, not only the FAA's oversight. Of, uh, of these, uh, of the safety situation in building planes, but also in the in Boeing's own oversight uh, of its own subcontractors uh, and partners. Uh, to be clear, the FAA in the past, in the in the past couple of years, has twice named Spirit AeroSystems uh, in uh, its in its allegations against Boeing uh, related to the seven thirty seven and safety issues.
5: And what did you find in terms of the FAA's ability to conduct uh, the necessary oversight over not only Spirit and Boeing, but I guess uh, uh, other uh, aircraft manufacturers?
1: Well, look, experts told us uh, that part of the problem here is that there are now so many subcontractors uh and the FAA has not had the funding necessary to do uh, what these experts say is the necessary kind of inspections and oversight over uh, these contractors that it's now not just one central company uh that's it's a company like Boeing but with uh, all sorts of subcontractors that the that federal officials uh, don't necessarily haven't necessarily uh, been supervising as tightly as they could. Uh, don't have the necessarily the funding to supervise them. Now, of course, this is a company that we're talking about, Spirit AeroSystems, that received $75 million uh, very recently as a federal subsidy uh, during the the pandemic. Uh, so this company is also has also gotten uh, government money uh, while. At the same time, uh, these workers uh, in this federal complaint are alleging uh, essentially a a culture of uh, of defects, a culture of fraud, a culture of retaliation. Certainly not. They're they're alleging a a, a culture that that hasn't rewarded them for sounding the alarm about safety.
0: What were spirit ties to President Trump?
1: Well, again, the CEO, uh, uh, the current CEO, the new CEO uh, of Spirit Aerosystems was a Boeing official before that uh, and in the interim uh, was a uh, official in the uh, deputy secretary of defense under Donald Trump.
0: So uh, one of the ways you find out you when the um, when this is all being investigated, you go to the um, cockpit voice recorder. Amazingly, it has been overwritten. Um, right, Alaska Air, Boeing said it, it happens very quickly, so they can't even go to the voice recorder? Uh-
1: uh, apparently, I mean, I think there's going to be a very detailed investigation into this because now you've got planes grounded. Uh, you've got the uh, I mean, I mean, these these planes uh, are now a central part of the American uh, uh, civil aeronautics infrastructure in this country. Uh, and, and you had a door blow out. So I think there's going to be a serious investigation to, to understand whether or not these problems are, in fact, systemic. And again, I go back to what the workers say in this federal complaint. They're alleging this is not this kind of thing is not an anomaly, that it, it is a systemic culture uh, of defects. And again, in reading this complaint, one of the most disturbing parts is the allegation. I mean, this is a direct quote, quote, we are being asked to purposely record inaccurate information. And in a situation where the FAA does not necessarily have the resources or the wherewithal to oversee such uh, subcontractors, it hasn't been uh, uh, stringently overseeing them. In a sense, uh, the public is relying on these companies to uh, to provide accurate information. And you have in this federal complaint, again, a worker saying we are being asked to purposely record inaccurate information about safety.
0: And put this into the context of what happened in 2019. We've been focusing on this in the last few days. We spoke to Ralph Nader, whose grandniece, uh, Samya Stumo, when we spoke to her mother, Nadja uh, died in the Ethiopian Airlines flight, uh, the Boeing Max 8, also Indonesia's flight. We're ca- talking about over 300 people. All the people on board, crew and passengers in both planes died. I want to go to uh, the National Transportation Center. Safety Board saying it couldn't tell whether the recovered cabin panel that blew off Alaska Airlines MAX 9 plane in midair last week had been properly attached. The NTSB chair is Jennifer Hammondy. Uh, she said uh, the NTSB focus uh, <clears throat> is on the accident plane, but it would also make broader safety recommendations if needed as the investigation progresses.
7: Now, the cockpit door. Uh, We found today that the cockpit door is designed to open during rapid decompression. It is designed to open during rapid decompression. However, no one among the flight crew knew that. They were not informed. So, Boeing uh, is going to make some changes to the manual, which then hopefully will translate into uh, procedures and information for the flight attendants
0: and for the uh, uh, crew. I mean, it's just astounding that in this almost full flight, those seats next to the opening that was the refrigerator size opening uh, that opened. There was no one sitting in those seats, which may account for the fact that um, no one died. It's absolutely astounding. But, David Sirota, as we wrap up, um, the progression from the two MAX flights that went down, those MAX planes, MAX 8, were grounded for almost two years, but now they're back in service as MAX 9 with some little change, and now these are being grounded or canceled, whether it's United or Alaska Airlines. Where is this? all headed?
1: Well, I, I think the, the question has to be, how did this how did this progression happen? What was fueling it? And it's important to contextualize this with the fact that the the company, uh, Boeing and its subcontractors, obviously, have been under pressure to try to ramp up production as other uh, major uh, manufacturers have gained market share. Uh, Companies like Airbus, for instance, uh, uh, you have a situation uh, where the workers in this complaint are saying we are under pressure to ramp up production uh, without regard necessarily uh, for quality. So the point being that when you read this federal complaint, when you read these documents, the context of this is uh, is ultimately uh, financial If you in these allegations that the company is so focused on trying to produce more and more uh, that these workers are alleging uh, that, that quality control has fallen by the wayside. So I think the question, Amy, is, is, the, is the progression that you've laid out, is it part of an inevitable pattern? Uh, is it the logical result, uh, the horrifying result, but the logical result of a culture of production over the most basic quality control that is supposed to be protecting the public?
5: And, and David I wanted to ask you I was I was struck in particular by in your article by uh the mention of court documents of the of by uh, a Joshua Dean who was a former quality auditor for uh for spirit uh who raised issues of major major defects uh, as far back as October of 2022 long before Boeing publicly admitted any kinds of defects and yet he not only was uh, Consistently uh, overlooked his complaints, but he was eventually fired.
1: That's right. Uh, the complaint says that that this person was was fired. Uh, that that that's correct uh, in raising that alarm about uh, what were called misdrilled uh, or misplaced holes that were drilled uh, in in the bulkhead in in the fuselage. So, and 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 what's interesting here is that this all comes out of a shareholder lawsuit. Uh, shareholders are effectively alleging uh, that. The executives who were making positive statements about the company publicly uh, were being warned by employees internally that the statements that they were making about safety were inaccurate. And so the shareholders are saying that they, as shareholders, uh, were effectively defrauded, that they have a right to. Uh, uh, honest, accurate information from I- executives at the companies that they own. So that's the other a- question here: is how much did management at the at at either Boeing or uh, Spirit AeroSystems know about this? And again, in this complaint, one of the most uh, 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 in- important parts of this is you have an email uh, from one of these employees raising the alarm, an email sent directly to the then CEO of the company, saying that this was this person, the person writing. In the email. This is my, my quote, last resort. I, I effectively can't get any answers.
0: David Sirota, we want to thank you for being with us. Editor in chief of The Lever, which has just published a major new investigation. We'll link to it. Boeing supplier ignored warnings of excessive amount of defects former employees allege. I also encourage people to go to our past segments in the last few days. Wake up call, mother of Boeing crash victim and Boeing whistleblower on latest Max Jet. Next up, protesters calling for a ceasefire in Gaza interrupt President Biden's campaign speech yesterday at the historic Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A lot of people credit the presidential candidate, Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor, with ultimately taking down the Confederate flag on the Capitol grounds. We'll go to the woman who actually did take down that flag after the massacre and was arrested in uh Nikki Haley administration for doing so. Stay with us.
8: Weighing heavy on my mind trying to find that word to define how I feel. Cause every time I recline something goes down to remind me the dream ain't real. And it's jolting to me to realize all the lies. It's insulting to me. But that's the burdens of the young, black and gifted. Trying to stay lifted in the world that keeps us tainted. Just cause we pigmented. They say go be exceptional and professional. But them khakis can't fix what is institutional. So we say it. Cause we ain't got no time for no summit. They tryna wipe us out. Cause they don't want no real
6: republic. And when we broach the subject, they try to deflect Dragon names. Bree Newsom, respect
0: Stay Strong, a love song to freedom fighters. She's our next guest. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. We turn now to South Carolina, where President Biden delivered his second campaign speech of the year at the historic Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where in 2015— Eight black parishioners and their pastor were shot dead by a white supremacist. Biden remembered the victims.
2: On June 17, 2015, the beautiful souls, five survivors and five survivors, invited a stranger into this church to pray with them. The word of God was pierced by bullets and hate, rage, propelled by not just gunpowder, but by a poison poison that has for too long haunted this nation. What is that poison? White supremacy. Oh, it is. It's a poison throughout our history. It's ripped this nation apart. It says no place in America, not today, tomorrow, or
0: ever. As his That's all right. That's all right. As he spoke, Biden was disrupted by activists demanding a Gaza ceasefire.
2: No light, there's no path from this darkness. If you really care about the lives lost here, then you should honor the lives lost
0: As the protesters were removed from the church, supporters of President Biden began chanting four more years. He addressed the protesters.
2: I understand their passion and I've been quietly working. I've been quietly working with the Israeli government to get them to reduce and significantly get out of Gaza. I'm using all that I can to do.
0: Without naming Donald Trump, Biden blasted the former president and leading 2024 Republican candidate as a loser who tried to overthrow the 2020 election results by urging his supporters to storm the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. A number carried Confederate flags and wore white supremacists and far-right symbols. Following the massacre at the Emanuel AME Church in 2015— following the mass funeral um, at the University of Charleston Arena that thousands came out for, our next guest, Brie Newsome Bass, scaled the 30-foot flagpole at the South Carolina State Capitol and removed the Confederate flag. As police officers shouted her to come down, she shimmied to the top of the flagpole, took her flag took the flag in her hand and said, You come against me with hatred, I come against you in the name of God. This flag comes down today.
6: You come against me with hatred and oppression and violence. I come against you in the name of God. This flag comes down today. Cool.
0: While Brie Newsom was arrested along with an ally, it was only after this action. That the Confederate flag was formally removed from the South Carolina State House grounds. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley was governor of South Carolina at the time. She has faced fresh backlash after she didn't mention slavery when asked about the cause of the U.S. Civil War during a recent town hall in New Hampshire. Well, for more, we're joined in Raleigh, North Carolina, by Bree Newsom Bass, artist, anti racist activist. Brie, welcome back to Democracy Now!, this certainly does take us back. As people debate whether it was Nikki Haley who ultimately forced the um, flag to come down, we're going to the woman who actually took it down and risked your freedom to do it. Uh, talk about why you did that then, um, ultimately the legislature would vote to take it down, and how you feel about what's happening today.
8: Yes. And thank you again so much for having me on. Um, You know, and I want to make it clear, Yes, I did scale the poll and take the Confederate flag down. This was an issue that people had been protesting for years and years and years. And that's part of what made it so egregious in 2015 when we had the massacre at Emanuel AME. And South Carolina refused to lower the flag because part of the reason why they were refusing to lower the flag is that they had passed a law in the year 2000 saying that it couldn't be lowered for any reason after they moved it from the Capitol Dome to the flagpole on the lawn where it was at the time that I took it down, so this had been going on for years and years and years um, and Nikki Haley actually opposed taking the flag down right up until those massacres occurred, and the mounting political protest and the you know the pressure um, made it where she she basically had to at that point support the flag coming down so ideologically, she has never really had this stance of being opposed to either the confederacy or, <clears throat> excuse me, symbols of the confederacy or, and certainly not opposed to uh, racist policy. She went right from the governorship to serving in the Trump administration. And she's had number a uh, number of incidents over the years where the things that she says or the things that she does directly contradict with her, you know, her claim of having led the way on taking the Confederate flag down. At one of her um, recent rallies, she played that song, uh, find out in a small town, you know, that the song that people really raised uh, a lot of concern about because it was obviously alluding to sundown towns um, and, and the racial violence that black people have experienced here for decades and decades and decades. So this is not uh, this is not new for Nikki Haley. It just shows that she does not really represent um, anti-racism in any real way.
5: And, uh, Brie, I'd like to ask you, in response to President Biden's speech, uh, you posted on social media, quote, how the black church is used as a prop for white politicians actually proves the point that racism is alive and well and strong. Uh, could you expand on that?
8: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that the whole way that the the incidents in 2015, both the massacre at Emanuel AME, the, the um refocus on the Confederate flag there in South Carolina, the formal ceremony around taking the flag down and, and the way that um, American politics returns to those moments again and again and again um, speaks to how relevant it still is. The fact that black churches are frequently used as, um, you know, political campaign stops for politicians, in this case with Joe Biden, um, you know, he is clearly trying to make an appeal not just to black voters, but really trying to fend off criticism that he is racist, that he is sponsoring a genocide. Uh, and that criticism is completely well-founded because he is sponsoring a genocide. And genocide is the most extreme form of racial violence that there is. Um, and so to use the pulpit at Emanuel AME, um, in this manner, to make it a prop, essentially, for Joe Biden's re-election bid. to me, is the greatest assault on truth. I know Joe Biden stood there in the pulpit and said that there is an assault on truth that's happening right now. Uh, Joe Biden is, in many ways, leading that assault. Um, and I know that he's running against Donald Trump, who we know is also a serial liar, but Donald Trump is not the one who is currently in office right now. It is Joe Biden. Um And, and this effort to use the church, not just the black church, but the site of racial violence, Um, of a a mass murder to deflect from the fact that Joe Biden himself is bombing churches, bombing mosques, bombing places of worship and murdering many civilians, people who have sought shelter in those places. It just exposes the complete hypocrisy of this entire situation and the vacuum of moral leadership at the top. And that's why I took offense to it. I think that's why many people who watched it took offense to it. I'm very glad that the young people stood up and protested because even though they were few in that audience, they represented the majority of people worldwide.
0: Uh, You know, it's interesting, Brie. The polls that have just come out today indicate that Nikki Haley is surging in the polls in New Hampshire. You referenced where she stood on the Confederate flag. I wanted to go back to 2014, when then-South Carolina Republican Governor Nikki Haley suggested South Carolina had resolved its image problem and that having the Confederate flag at the Statehouse was fine, because not a single CEO had complained. She was speaking at a gubernatorial debate. You know, the Confederate flag is a very sensitive issue, and what I can tell you is over the last three and a half years, I spend a lot of my days on the phones with CEOs and recruiting jobs to this state. I can honestly say I have not had one conversation with a single CEO about the Confederate flag. What is important here is that we look at the fact that, yes, perception of South Carolina matters. That's why we have everybody answering the phones, it's a great day in South Carolina. That's why we're being named the friendliest state, the most patriotic state, and getting all great accolades. But we really kind of fixed all that when you elected the first Indian
7: American female governor, when we appointed the first African-American U.S. senator.
0: That was Nikki Haley back in 2014. Brie Newsom-Bass, your final comment.
8: I mean, I think that says it all, right? So first of all, she's saying that it's okay. The optics are okay, right? We're not talking about the substance. We're not talking about the experience, we're not talking about whether people are actually experiencing equal treatment under the law, just the optics. So the optics are fine because it's not disrupting business. Right. Um, and then the other thing that she offers as evidence that everything is OK is the fact that she's non-white. She is an Indian-American woman and then she points to other uh, people in the administration, <clears throat> excuse me, who who are non-white. Well, that's the entire problem right there. The idea is that so long as we can keep business going as usual, it doesn't matter that there's violence. It doesn't matter that there's racism. Um, All that matters is the optics. And that is what Nikki Haley's campaign represents in her falsely claiming that she led the way on taking the Confederate flag down. That's what Joe Biden's campaign represents in terms of thinking that all that matters is giving a speech at a church and ignoring all of the churches that are being blown up and all of the Palestinians that are being killed ignore the fact that young people are demanding a future and we have people who are older who don't seem to care at all um, that this uh, assault in Palestine is disproportionately uh, um, affecting children or killing children. Um, And then in the case of of Nikki Haley, again, um, she does not— truly represent any of the things that she is claiming when it comes to being anti-racist. You can say whatever words you want to say. You can put together whatever kind of events you want to put together. But the fact is that the truth is going to be the truth. We see what is actually happening. And I support all of the disruptions because the last thing that we need is to carry on business as usual when our democracy is absolutely under attack. Democracy is under attack worldwide. Um, And genocide is the most extreme, the most extreme form of racial violence that there is. So there's no way that we are fighting white supremacy uh, simply by taking down a flag or having uh, an event at Emanuel AME In the midst of genocide, in the midst of um, doing away with affirmative action, voting rights, the attack on abortion rights, Um, this is where we we are at. It's a very uh, dangerous place, and I hope that people look beyond the optics and support those people who are disrupting, because the last thing that we need is to carry on with business as usual.
0: Bree Newsom Bass, artist, anti racist activist. In 2015, following the massacre of the eight African American parishioners and their pastor uh, by a white supremacist at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, Bree scaled the 30 foot flagpole at the South Carolina State Capitol and removed the Confederate flag. Next up, we go to the growing support for reparations in America. Stay with us. <music> Today is the day by the Palestinian lo-fi duo Hazy Noir. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. We look now at the growing movement in support of reparations in the United States for black descendants of people who were enslaved. The state of New York recently joined California to establish a commission to study reparations and racial justice. More works being done at the local and personal level, which is the focus of a new documentary premiering this week on PBS, The Cost of Inheritance, an America reframed special. This is the trailer.
7: Cornelius, age 8.
0: A discovery
3: brings strangers together. Seeing those names, it humanized it for me.
4: Every time I say I'm the fifth generation of Zeke Quarterman, an enslaved man, part of me dies.
3: On a journey
8: across the years. Field article number 15, 40 acres, a mule and
9: $200. Abraham Lincoln is assassinated. The enslaved got nothing. Congress passes the Homestead Act. Social Security, the GI Bill, the FHA.
2: Now, when we come to Washington, we're coming to get our check.
0: Ah, ah. Mom, I love you. I can't breathe. Connected by a common
7: cause, harm happens locally, so repair has to happen locally. Do the work.
0: Look at your own history. What was your family's role seeking justice and peace? For more, we're joined by some of the people featured in The Cost of Inheritance in Savannah, Georgia. Randy Cotterman is a fifth-generation descendant of Zeke Cotterman, who was enslaved by George Adam Keller. Randy co-founded The Reparation Project alongside Sarah Eisner, a fifth-generation descendant of Keller. In Denver, Lottie Lee Abdullah is with us, a descendant of William Hayes Paxton, who was an enslaver in the Mississippi Delta. She's with Reparations for Slavery. And in New York, we're joined by Yoruba Richin, the award-winning director of this documentary. Yoruba, before we play some clips, yes, let's start with you. Talk about this movement for reparations uh, that's hardly hitting the corporate media radar, but is happening all over the country, both at state level, city level— and personally, like the ones you document in this film?
6: Absolutely. Uh, Good morning, Amy. Thank you for for having us. Um, It's pretty incredible the uh, pace in which we see reparations um, moving if everything from studying state commissions, uh, like the one New York just passed, we're actually now the third state, Illinois has one as well, uh, to cities all across the country who are looking into how to, uh, move forward on reparations for descendants of, sl- of, um, of enslaved folks and these personal stories. Uh, you know, as we were making this film over the past two years, Uh, past three years, we could hardly keep up with, uh, all of the different things we were hearing about. Um, and even since, you know, since the film has been completed. So it's a far cry from where we have come. I mean, I remember, you know, growing up, uh, in the, the 80s, you talk about reparations, you were considered a fringe. You were considered, you know, a crazy person. So, um, you know, this movement has been ongoing, as the film shows, since the end of slavery. Black people have been fighting for reparations, um, and, it's a bit of a, and it continues to be a long struggle. But um, what we show in The Cost of Inheritance is that there is uh, it, that it's actually happening, and it's happening on a personal level, Um, And on these on these local levels, which will hopefully uh, give rise to and more momentum for it to happen on a federal level.
5: Uh, uh, Randy Quarterman, uh, your family is linked to Sarah Eisner's family through slavery. You're a fifth generation descendant of someone who was enslaved by George Adam Keller. Uh, After she contacted you, you founded the reparations project uh, to save the quarterman's family lands in uh, uh, Monteith and Port Wentworth, uh, Georgia, after it faced various legal challenges. Can you talk about the relationship you formed
4: with Sarah? Yes, good morning. Um, the relationship I formed with Sarah was an uh, eye-opening uh, I, I one for me, uh, uh, being born in Japan and raised in Japan until I was 13, and then coming here not knowing anything about my Black history. Or anything like that to learn about our heirs' property and, and an acre of it being taken by uh, eminent domain, and and also learning about the ninety uh, percent of land uh, black land loss that happened in the South itself. So Sarah opened that door for me to really engage and really understand the history of uh, uh, of my African American people, my Black people. And also understanding my dynamics of my own family.
0: You know, I Those want to go them. to a clip from The Cost of Inheritance um, that features you, Randy, as well as the woman who contacted you, Sarah Eisner.
3: In 2019, I was speaking with my cousin Bill, who lives in the Savannah area. Bill said, The Quarterman family still own. This plot of 10 acres of land that George Adam Keller gave uh, Zeke Quarterman in the 1800s.
4: When we found out the land was given to Zeke, he came alive again to us. You got anything on your heart right now?
2: This is the time,
4: hallelujah. August 2019. Now I had an email from Sarah acknowledging who her family was and if I was a descendant of Zeke Quarterman who was enslaved by uh, George Adam Keller. I was just like taken off track a little bit.
3: I was definitely nervous and scared.
4: My question was, what are they doing here? What, what's, the, what's going on?
3: I remember thinking, what have I done? What if they yell at me? If they do, they do. They, they have every right to be angry. I wanted
6: to hide all of them.
4: I consulted with Pat Gunn, somebody that was doing this type of work and understanding it.
6: And so you're standing in a sacred ground. This is a slave holding bin, we believe.
4: She told me said, hey, you know, your ancestors is on your back. it's a special moment for you. You need to engage. See, like one, yeah, two, three, four. And it's, it's, it's staggered into a corners like where a house would be right here. For me and my family, we, we know this as heirs property. Land that's passed down through family generations that has no will to say this person owns the land. It should have been Zeke's house. This probably was the house structure that was they lived at but the land is not in our possession in court appointed. A lawyer became the executor of our property. See, it's like old bricks from back then. And then Sarah was like, hey, I really want to get you some help to try to clear this title.
3: I thought, this is so obviously a case of reparations because of America's first attempt at reparations right in that area. And I want
0: to go to another clip from The Cost of Inheritance that features our other guest, Lottie Lee Abdullah.
7: I've looked at my own family history and I've documented three different governors that were likely involved in creating the laws of, of slavery. When I found out that Brianna had studied political science, that whole area, I thought, well that matches the harm that I need to unwind. For white people, one of the most important things to know is this is not a gift. I am repaying
6: a debt. I started working with Lottie. I've learned things about my grandmother. I've learned about a lot about my great grandparents, down to the personality traits and even some of the ways I stand when I take pictures. is is very creepy to see someone you know who's born in the 1870s have the same pose when they, when she took pictures. Rhea and I
7: teach a class in reparative genealogy. We really cater to white people who have a family background of enslavement, and we give you an idea of what steps you would take to begin to do repair work. One of the first steps, understand the genesis of the racial wealth gap.
9: You've got black people today in America that own about 2% of U.S. wealth. After all of this time, about 2%. How did we get here?
7: The history of my family really shows exactly how it works mechanically. It all started with Elisha Paxton, my third great-grandfather. He established a plantation near Lexington, Virginia, beginning around 1815. And with the proceeds likely from the plantation operations, he was able to send many sons to law school, including my second great-grandfather. So right there, you, you have the benefit as education. In the early 1830s, several of Alisha's sons, including my second great-grandfather, moved to the Mississippi Delta. There, they set up a law practice and later,
9: multiple cotton plantations. Cotton became king. Cotton drove the creation of the Wall Street banks and made really the economy of the United States. But where did it put African-Americans? If you go back to 1860, we know there's about 4 million black people held in bondage. Those people are the most liquid asset in the country. 22 trillion in today's value in terms of the value of those folks to the country. It's an enormous impact. So the first is what was extracted from those people during that period of time. The second is what was extracted from those people following that time during the Jim Crow era.
0: That is a clip of The Cost of Inheritance that's premiering on PBS this week. Lottie Lee Doula is with us, descendant of William Hayes Paxton, who was an enslaver in the Mississippi Delta with reparations for slavery, a portal for white families walking the path of direct repair. Um, If you can talk about your relationship with Brie Cuffey, um, who we see in this film, a young black woman, when she talks about reparations for her is repaying student debt. How would you hook up?
7: Thank you, Amy, and it's a real honor to be here with you today. <clears throat> in 2000, early 2018, um, as you'll see in the, the documentary, um, I found some boxes, and within those boxes I found records of my family's uh, <clears throat> records of enslavement um, on a plantation in Mississippi. And <clears throat> within about 24 hours, I had decided... I was going to have to go on a journey of repair. Um, And one of the first things I did looking around to figure out what, where do I go? Who do I, I've got to talk to somebody about this, this history and decide what to do. I discovered a group called coming to the table and they were having a national gathering uh, that summer. And at that national gathering, they were going to be discussing um, reparations. So I attended, and I noticed immediately, uh, I think the youngest person at this gathering, and <clears throat> that was Brianna Cuffey. And we both ended up attending the uh, reparations <clears throat> session. And I made a bunch of pretty arrogant statements saying how I wanted, wanted essentially to change the world and build a portal, and I wanted to know who would partner with me. And there were crickets And I sort of wandered off a bit dejectedly, and Brie walked up to me and rolled up on me, um, and she just said, you you have some pretty uh, mighty ideas there, but you haven't thought about people like me. You're setting up scholarships. You're recommending this and that. What about me? I have a six-figure college debt. I'm working three jobs. I'm barely making it. What do you have for me? And so in that moment, I realized... Not only was this the perfect partner for the portal, but that a path was opening up right in front of my eyes as to a beginning step I could take to engage in direct repair. So that's how we met. And um, as you'll see in the film, our relationship unfolds. Well,
5: uh, Lottie, we only have a, about a minute, but I'm wondering your, your response, so it's Gotten a lot of attention, the uh, Nikki Haley's response as a GOP presidential candidate to uh, the causes of the Civil War.
7: Oh, it, <clears throat> I'm disgusted by that that comment. Um, of course, we know the cause of the Civil War; it's slavery. In fact, I have in, in my ancestor's uh, <clears throat> memoir. Uh, There's a direct quote and he says, I don't know what anybody else is calling this war, but I call it the war for the slaves. So it just it just goes to show that we, we really we are so far apart in how we are looking at our history we really need to come together. And that's really what we recommend and how our portal works is we take a very, very fine look at history and we bring black and white people together to engage in reparative genealogy and looking at our history together and forming bonds of repair.
0: Lottie Lee Abdullah, want to thank you for being with us, descendant of an enslaver in the Mississippi Delta with Reparations for Slavery, Randy Cotterman, fifth-generation, descendant of Zeke Cotterman, enslaved by George Adam Keller. Randy co-founded the Reparation Project, along with Sarah Eisner. And we want to thank Yoruba Richon, the director of The Cost of Inheritance, an America Reframed special. I'm Amy Goodman, with Juan Gonzalez, for Democracy Now!